Dave is going to be teaching out of Philippians 4 this morning. I believe this is our last morning for the moment in Philippians. It is. We're saying goodbye. <laughs> um, so this is Philippians. You've learned everything you can know about the book. I'm kidding. <laughs> Go back into it. <laughs> um, this is chapter 4, verses 14 through 23. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Janie. All right, so when I was a kid uh, around Ford's age, Ford is uh, around nine, uh, ABN nine, uh, there should be a picture that's about to come up. So there I was. Does that look like Ford? I got a chance to go to a week-long summer camp, this, this kid did, uh, up in Wisconsin with some kids from my church, and it was, uh, I don't know, like, I guess, you know, camp, camps in summertime, like, I don't know if you got, grew up getting to go to a camp, but this was a big deal to get to go from, like, small-town Indiana all the way up into Wisconsin and stay in a cabin, and it was a camp on a big lake, and there was canoes and water skiing and all that sort of stuff, and it was just magical, and other churches from our denomination, uh, they would bring kids from their churches, and so you got to actually build, like, camp friends, you know, you had, like, your school friends, and then you had your summer friends, and so for a relational junkie like me, that was an absolute glory, and so there was a, a group from Chicago that came, and there was a kid in that group named Patrick, and uh, he and I became friends at camp, and it became really apparent pretty quickly that his life circumstances and my life circumstances uh, were radically different. And mostly, I, I deduced that from the fact that day three of camp, he was still wearing the clothes that he came to camp in. That over the course of three days, he hadn't changed any of his clothes, and I had changed plenty of times. And so I asked him about that. I said, hey, Patrick, what's, what's up? Why have you not changed your clothes? Uh, because we're you know, stinky little boys. And he said, I don't have any other clothes. I didn't bring anything with me to camp. I just... I brought the clothes that I'm wearing. A week prior to that trip, my mom, that trip happened in late July, my mom had taken me uh, to Kmart in Gas City, Indiana, because that's where you shop when you grow up, where I grew up. It was a solid place to do your back-to-school shopping. And she had taken me to get all of my school clothes for the upcoming year, which was a bunch of, like, sweet Hobie swag. You guys remember Hobie? I think that that's actually a Hobie shirt. There's, like, a surfboard and, like, a you know, 50s car on there. 
And uh, so I had all this brand new clothes that my mom had bought for me <laughs> to go to school in. And so I started giving uh, every day, like, hey, Patrick, why don't you wear this? And I started giving him my clothes. And I started wearing this camo tank top and shorts. And I wore that camo tank top and shorts for the rest of the week. Literally became known in the camp as the camo kid. I started wearing the same thing every single day and giving Patrick all my clothes. And at the end of camp, we had to say goodbye, and I packed all of my new clothes, every bit of my new clothes, into his suitcase and sent him back to Chicago with all of my stuff and came home empty-handed. Well, I got home, and my mom went through my laundry. I know this is a long story, but hang with me. And my mom went through all of my laundry, and she opened up my bag, and she literally, I can still hear her voice, like, David! Because, of course, she assumed that I had just forgotten them somewhere, which would have been a good conclusion on her part. But where are all your clothes? And I told him, I said, Mom, I gave them to Patrick. And she goes, who? You gave them to who? And I explained who Patrick was and what his situation was. And I think my mother was simultaneously, uh, you know, proud of me and then probably a little bit frustrated with me. Why do I tell you the story? Um, to show you what an exemplary, exemplary child I was at that age, yes. I was remarkable. <laughs> Just pause, come to the table. No. I tell you that story to, show you, to illustrate this, that my relationship with my parents was such that I never thought, I never, it didn't, never even like, considered this, that if I gave away everything I had, that they wouldn't again supply my needs. It didn't even cross my mind to think, if I give Patrick all of my stuff, then I'm going to go to school the whole next year and have to wear this camo tank top and these shorts for the whole year because I knew that my parents, because of who they were, because of their love for me, they would just get me more stuff because they could. And they weren't going to be those who punished my generosity, but rather uh, celebrated it, right? And I know... Each of you, there are plenty of you could hop off the, you know, the highway of this story right now and be like, well, that wasn't my parents, right? And that's true. It might not have been your story with your parents, but I'm going to challenge you to think as we look a little bit more into this passage that for those of us in Christ, that that is our story with our Heavenly Father. That's what Paul's talking about here. That's what he's getting at in the Philippian churches, that they displayed that they understood that about their Heavenly Father. And how they displayed that was as it showed up in their generosity, they were a radically generous community. And they lived into that family identity. I got, I got a father who is going to provide for me everything that I need. And what it looked like was what? He says there that it was good of you to share <clears throat> in my troubles, right? They knew that Paul was in prison. They knew that he was awaiting a death sentence. They knew what he was facing, his discouragements. And they made a decision, a conscious decision to do what they could do. They chose to share in his troubles. And how did they do that? He says there that they sent him aid. They sent him Epaphroditus, which was a great guy, but they also sent a big old sack of money with Epaphroditus, basically to meet his needs. And he says in there that you did that in ways that other churches in Macedonia, much wealthier churches, by the way, the Philippian church was the poorest of all the churches that Paul planted. The church in Corinth had way more money, way more influence. All these other churches in Macedonia didn't send me anything, and yet 
you did it, and you didn't just do it one time. It was a recurring thing. Like, they'd set up online giving, right? Like, they were just pouring out what they had for Paul. To the point of where Paul says, I am amply supplied. He's basically saying, I have got everything I need. He's even trying to get them there. He says, I, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is to be credited to your account. What he's saying is like, hey, it's good. Like, I'm good. I'm not trying to like give you the whole like, hey, thanks for giving to me. Wink, wink. Like, can you give me a little bit more? Like, that's not what's happening right now. Thank you. Thank you. He's commending them. And he's acknowledging, I was rejoiced through your generosity. I was, I was strengthened through your generosity towards me because you're a partner in the gospel. And he understands something, this, that your grasp of the gospel has done something to you because that's what the gospel does to us. The grasp of the gospel that they had had made them radically generous people because that generosity stemmed from a belief and a faith in someone. And he sums it up in verse 19. He says, and my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And my God will supply all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Paul's not saying something they didn't already know. He's reminding them of what they already know and what they're acting out of. You believe this. Let me tell you this truth because I know that you believe this. And that this is the root of your generosity. It is God who supplies our needs. Well, let me just we'll look at this for a second. What is Paul saying when he says that? What is he saying and what is he not saying? Well, it may sound obvious or it may seem obvious. I don't think it's obvious, at least for me or for most modern people. He's not saying he will supply all of your wants, Right? Because Paul, remember, he's in prison, and he's already made it very clear, I don't want to be in prison, even though me being in prison has actually turned out for some really good things. I don't want this, right? So he's not saying that he'll supply all of your wants, which can get really confusing in our cultural context, right? Because we're taught this. I mean, we cook in the kettle of this. If I want anything badly enough, then I actually believe I need that thing, and I should have that thing. Man, I, I'm admitting that. That's, that's the way my heart moves a lot of days. That's not what he's saying here, because this Philippian, Philippian church, just like Paul, like Paul was in jail, they were suffering too, right? They weren't an affluent church. They had many things that they wanted that they didn't have, right? And they weren't giving out of their excess, right? They were consciously choosing to go with less in their life. I'm going to make a decision to kind of cut out. I'm not just taking the fat off the top here. I'm cutting into muscle here, right? I'm actually going to go with less consciously in an area of my life so that you, Paul, can have some. And it was a giving that cost them. It cost them what they wanted, right? Second Corinthians, Paul talks about them in Second Corinthians 8. He says this, that they actually gave beyond their means. Just think about that statement for a second. I mean, it's not even really possible to that's true, but what is he? He's, he's using hyperbole to say they actually couldn't afford to give this to me and they still gave it to me, right? It cost them. That's why he says in there that it was a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. It was an offering, it was a sacrifice for them to give this way, right? Just like when in the Old Testament they were called to bring the first fruits to the Lord, right? Don't just after you've had everything that you want and that you need, then give whatever is left over to the Lord. No, we give to the Lord first, right? 
Their generosity stemmed from their faith, not in their own personal abundance, in their portfolio, in their savings, in their family generational wealth or whatever. That was not where their confidence and their peace was. Rather, that they were trusting in the riches and the good heart of their heavenly father. Paul's saying, remember this, you are rich kids because your father is rich. And as a result, if you live like a rich kid, you'll live like a generous kid. You'll be generous with your money. You'll be generous with your time. You'll be generous with your words. You will give because you've received so much. Believing this, that our Father can and does meet us when we give. It's actually in that process of giving, He makes Himself and His provision real to us, right? And this sort of giving, it pleases the Lord. It pleases the Lord. It was like my mother, I could tell, like there was this moment of conflict in her. It was like, gosh, we've got to go back to Kmart, right? But there was this part of her, it was kind of like, good. It pleased her to know, you know what? You felt the freedom to give all that stuff away because you knew that we'd supply your needs. That's how it makes the Lord feel, right? Actually, isn't that cool that we can actually please the heart of the Lord? That he can look at us when we live generous like this and he can say, I can see by your actions that you trust and believe that I've got you in my hands, right? And that everything you have, it isn't yours, it's stuff that I've given to you. And so now you're free to give it away because I'm free to give back to you in the way that will meet your need. I think the crazy thing is this, that if we as a community, as people, if we don't risk that sort of generosity, if we don't actually act don't just say, hey, like, yeah, I trust the Lord, but like I act in a way that shows that I'm going to trust that God is faithful to provide for me. We actually miss something. We actually miss receiving God showing up and meeting us in those needs. We take away an opportunity for the Lord to give back to us. There's a guy I knew on staff at, at Christ Prez. I worked at Christ Prez years ago with Randy before we started Midtown. And they used to have this thing called the Psalm 100 Men's Choir, right? And so like once a year, all the guys were like flogged up onto the stage, you know, in order to participate in the men's choir. And so they had practices for these choirs. So all these guys are, are assembled, probably 80 or 90 men. And one of the pastors who was leading the time stood up in the middle of that and said, hey, it's come to my attention that one of the families on our staff is really struggling financially and they are in, in dire needs. And... I'm not going to say much more, but I'd love to take an opportunity to take up an offering for this family and give it to them. Didn't mention the name of the family, didn't say who it was for. So we prayed for this family, and then everybody got out there, you know, I guess we had checkbooks and cash back then. I don't know, you have to have like a QR code these days, like Venmo, whatever, needperson.com or whatever it is. So we all kind of like, they pass the plate, and we all, you know, give what we can. There was a pretty sizable collection taken up, and so... <laughs> Later on that week, um, and I know this because this man told me this story, um, it turns out that one of the, the, the person in need was actually in, in that men's choir. He was there that day. And it turns out that he gave the biggest check that day. So he, who was in great need, his family was the one that guy was talking about, ended up giving the largest check that ended up coming right back to him. And why? Well, I could tell you a lot of stories about this guy, but it was a guy who understood something, right? He understood and believed 
But Paul says there, my God will supply all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. He was a, he was a man of faith. He's a man that faith was working itself out in action, right? A big part of what Paul is celebrating, and I'm, I'm inviting us to consider even as we come to the table, is that if we want to experience Christ meeting our needs, why I tell you that story about that man, and get a sense of the riches of his faithfulness to provide for us in the way that he can, the key to that is for us to actually give out of a place of faith like that. To risk, to give our money, to give our time, to give our talents and say, Lord, I don't know, this may be as costly to me, but I'm, I'm going to give you those things because we can't experience him meeting our needs in unforeseen ways if our lives are simply spent obsessing about meeting all of our own needs and wants. That's a hard, hard truth. <laughs> we can't experience him meeting our needs in unforeseen ways if our lives are spent simply obsessing over meeting all of our own needs and wants. And sometimes what we'll find, I mean... That's a unique situation I just told you about where he gave money and money came back. Sometimes what we find is when we give like that, God doesn't give back to us in the same way that we give, right? It's not like a dollar for dollar prosperity gospel sort of thing. Sometimes he gives us something that transcends that money or transcends that gift that I gave, something that we can't buy, something that we can't supply for ourselves, like the peace he says earlier that transcends all understanding, which is a bigger piece than the piece that we get from having a trust fund, right? Or maybe he gives us the gift of when we give that stuff away and then we actually learn, I don't need that as much as I thought I did. And maybe that was actually an idol in my life that was controlling my life. I get the gift in giving things away. God liberates me from things that are controlling me and idols in my life. I find out when I give it away, guess what? I don't have money. Money has me. I don't have stuff. Stuff has me. And God, in that generosity moment, he actually gives us the gift of being set free from that. What a gift. That's what Paul's talking about. Because remember, he says his secret to contentment is, is, I know what it is to have plenty, and I know what it is to be in want. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's saying, I can experience contentment and peace and joy, not in having all the things, not in having the money, but in being had by Christ. Well, we can only be generous like that. We're only set free to be generous like that if we're living like the rich sons and daughters that we are. And that's why we come to this table. That's we're going to come to the table right now. Because at this table, what we taste... And what we see and what we remember and proclaim, because that's what Paul says we do here, is that the greatest need that I ever had, right? He says there that God will meet all of your needs. The greatest need that you and I ever had, we could not sort out for ourselves. We couldn't give it to ourselves. We couldn't earn it for ourselves, right? And this table says what? I'm going to go this far to meet your needs. It's a promise at this table. That the debt that I was in because of sin, it wasn't something that I could, you know, just save up enough to get myself out of or work myself free from. It was a debt that had to be paid by somebody who had a perfect record, and Jesus was and is that for you and for me. And he was joyfully willing to absorb that debt and to bring us into his family 
and to make all sorts of outrageous eternal promises to you and to me about our future. And when our hearts and our minds are guarded in that truth, right? That I have treasure in heaven that moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. And he has gone to prepare a place for me. I'm a rich kid. I'm actually set free. You're set free from attempting to guard our hearts and minds with our own strength and our own resources, which is what most of us spend our time doing. I'm going to try to protect myself with things that are too small. And he sets us free to be a child again. I get to be that kid again. Right? Where is he at? Little Dave? I get to be little Dave in my father's and mother's house and kingdom believing my father will supply and my mother will supply all my needs. And I can live like my life is not just what I make of it. And that it all depends on me. It depends on him. So we're going to come to the table and taste and be reminded of what we have in Christ. We're going to eat and drink of his mercy and of his goodness and of his rich love for us. And when we do, when we feed on him, it makes us radically generous like our Jesus. All right? So I'm going to read for us from 1 Corinthians 11. This is how Paul invited us to the table. When I get done doing this, um, come down the middle aisle. Come when you're ready. Uh, we often say this is not fast food. Uh, there are cups. Uh, we've tried to do this as safely as possible. Cups for bread, cups for juice. Take one of those. You know, put out your hands and the folks serving you. Be happy to serve you when you're ready. Um, if you take them with you and go out the sides, there's trash cans that you can dispose of those appropriately. Um, if you need prayer, uh, you know, we would love to pray for you. Uh, so if you kind of give us that sign, the cross sign. Uh, we'd love uh, to take an opportunity to pray for you. But this is what Paul says as we come to the table. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Those words have always struck me. I'm for you. I'm for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This, this cup has got promises, rich promises attached to it. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So if you're in Christ this morning, if you've received him as Savior and Lord, come feast on the goodness and the faithfulness of the Lord to you and let it strengthen your heart. If you're not in Christ this morning, we're, we're pumped that you're here. Um, you should be excited that you're here because it probably means Jesus is trying to get a hold of your heart. But if you're still living out of your own resources, right, um, I would encourage you, come to faith in him. Come ask one of us, who is this Jesus who gives this generously? Um, because in him you'll find rest for your soul and resources beyond your own ability, right? So come to him before you come to the meal that represents I've come to him. But for those of us who are in Christ, Paul warns us later on in, there in 1 Corinthians to examine our hearts. I'll just ask you to ask this question, am I generous? Like, if I'm not generous like this, why not? And would you not hear that from a shameful place? Uh, but ask the Lord, what's blocking me from trusting you like this? Because you're a good father who does promise to supply my needs. And Lord, would you be a good father? Because good fathers discipline their kids, they don't judge them. Would you discipline my heart and teach me where I'm not generous because I'm not trusting you and, and loosen my hands to trust you more, all right? 
I'm going to pray for us, uh, and then Janie and Matt will lead us through a time of worship and coming to the table. Lord, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you um, that it is true that you will meet all of our needs according to the riches of your glory in Christ Jesus. I pray, Lord, uh, Holy Spirit, now that you would teach us um, where you are, give us gratitude for where you have met those needs, Lord, and maybe even show us the places where we're struggling to trust that you will. Um, But Lord, pray that as we feed on uh, what you've done for us, um, that you would strengthen our hearts to become, continue to become a more generous community. Uh, who freely gives away what we have for the world around us uh, because we know uh, that you hold us in the palm of your hand. We love you in your name. Amen.